G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena, good morning New Zealand. Uh, uh, Welcome along to SENZ in the mornings uh, through 9 to 12 with uh, Ian Smith and this morning uh, we have a very diverse sort of a show. We're going uh, to get inside the netball camp of England. Uh, They're here of course for a triple header against the Silver Ferns next weekend and uh, next week actually over the three days uh, in Christchurch. Michael Venus, our tennis uh, hero, bronze medalist of course, uh, he will join us uh, around about 9.30. There's a Davis Cup tie coming up this weekend uh, against Korea in New York. Yeah, Korea in New York, believe that. Amelia Garvey is uh, an interesting uh, interviewee this morning because uh, Amelia is uh, part of uh, our women's golf team overseas and she's searching for her PGA card and she's at a very interesting and vital stage uh, as she searches for that. Ross Carl uh, from Sky TV, Courtney Tyree from Sky TV will look at the, the issues of the day on the panel. Louis Herman Watt, Paul Mawati. And then we're going to talk to Mike Summerall. We've been posing this question uh, about where do our young athletes go? Or where are our kids going? And, and why aren't they going into clubs to play sport and, and continue the depth in those clubs? Uh, they're lacking numbers, some of our traditional sports. So Mike Summerall is the CEO of School Sport here in New Zealand. Other items, of course, of interest throughout the morning. But that, that is the spine of the show. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, after 43 consecutive days on the job, the sermon seriously contemplated taking a day off today. Exhausted, frustrated, devoid of ideas, emotionally spent, really. You see, the sermon at the end of the day is just a bloke. Dangerous, I know, in this day and age. Yes, but a bloke doing his darndest to deliver his message from the pulpit of sport and life. He considered going out in support of his Auckland colleagues who for over a month haven't been able to deliver. I mean, he hasn't even heard anything from Lord Leo of the Viaduct, future mayor of the great city. In this Māori language week, he sought guidance and advice from his te reo cousin. Perhaps some inspiration there, an attempt at a special version. Alas, the advice came through in the negative. Idea good, more homework and practice desperately needed. Maybe next year, kia kaha, be strong and be confident and keep searching. So the sermon did. And under that well-known adage, seek and ye shall find, the sermon succeeded. Just like those mad Aussies who seek gold and opals in the searing heat of the midday sun deep in the outback in the desert lands, he found a gem. He found the story of the Otago women's far apart the cup squad. This weekend, they face a logistical nightmare. Five different groups, nine flights, two players out of Invercargill, 26 from Dunedin, 15 hours of travel, and all spanning from dawn till well after dusk, just to get to Tauranga. Adding to this saga is that this is far from a battle for the title. 
Otago and Bay of Plenty are 6th and 7th out of 7 teams. Neither team have won a game. So why bother? Thought the sermon. Why, the girl said, because we can. And a lot of our sisters simply can't. And ain't that the truth and ain't that special. So the sermon found his inspiration. Good luck girls, travel safe, play well. here on SENZ and the Silver Ferns are back in action on Monday night taking on England in a three test series across five days in Christchurch. Well someone who knows the city very well indeed having played two seasons with the tactics in 2013 and 14 uh, is England mid-quarter Jade Clark one of the most experienced netballers on the planet. Uh, Jade thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, Thank you for having me. Hey, look, this is exciting uh, to have some, some live netball, I've got to say, even from New Zealand's point of view, but it's, it's been a battle. Uh, you, you girls have had to go through a bit in terms of uh, quarantine, etc. Tell, tell us about your journey to get to this point. Yeah, well, we had our child back at home, um, and then we went into a few days isolation, uh, came into camp, did some social distance training, and then flew to New Zealand, um, did the two weeks in quarantine but I have to say everyone like really loved the food and how well we were treated and being able to go out for walks um, so yeah we just made the most of that time we had together um, and, th- and then we got out and just really appreciating uh, just being let out, let out of our cages on support so yeah I'm really enjoying it. So Jade you're coming from a, a UK environment now which has ba- basically just got the green light you- you've got full-on sport with full-on crowds so you're, you're pretty much back to normal over there aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So it's been a long, old journey to to that point. Um, but the vaccines are going well in the UK. Um, I think all our teams vaccines now. Um, so yeah, we're getting there. Um, so yeah. So but we our well, last season we played in front of no crowd the the whole season. So whether we've got a crowd or not, we'll be we'll be prepared. I'm just happy that, like you say, we can get international netball going and and get some games in our, under our belts for Commonwealth Games. So how are you finding Christchurch this time around? Oh, I absolutely love it. Um, playing for tactics in those two years was one of my favourite two years. I was playing some of the best netball. I had lots of amazing friends, so it's just nice to be back. Seeing my friends and just seeing how much the city has grown. Like, there's so many cool like little areas and coffee shops. Um, so just, yeah, making the most of like being able to see all the city. Well, this is the second time that uh, the English Roses have uh, toured New Zealand during the, uh, the COVID lockdowns and the COVID scenario. Uh, this time, yeah. uh, last time you went down 3-0, but this time I think your squad uh, possesses a lot more experience, doesn't it? Yeah, we've actually got Jeeva Mentor back with us this time and we haven't seen her since 2019. So she just brings a wealth of experience. Um, we're still without some of our Suncourt players who got to the final, so they're waiting for us in Australia. Um, but yeah, we want to just keep improving, keep building on what we did last year. Uh, and there's no better way to do that than playing against the world champions. So you've played 179 tests at this point, so you're going to finish up uh, after the end of this tour well into the 180s. Uh, that's two decades of international netball. You know, uh, what, what keeps yeah. you motivated? Uh, what keeps you motivated to, to continue on? Yeah, as I've gone on, I, I don't love the fitness training as much, but I absolutely just still love the netball training. I love being with the girls. I love like working towards a goal that, that first seems impossible and over years and years you, you you finally make it. I just 
absolutely love it. And we've got some brilliant young talent coming into the squad. So I love like building those connections as well with them. And uh, yeah, I'll just keep going until they tell me to stop, I think. Tell us about the, the new players within the squad. We know uh, all about yourself and Jeeva, Serena, etc. with the, so much experience uh, to your name. But uh, yep. what about the young players that you're going to be using, particularly on this segment, before you get the other players back in Australia? Yeah, we've got young players like Imogen Allison, who's been playing alongside Serena Guthrie all season. So like, she's been brilliant. Um, Sophie Drake with Lewis, I think you saw... A bit of her last year when she came over, she was like our young goal attack and she just never stopped. She's always sprinting. Um, and Hannah Joseph, who's been out of the, the fold of the England squad and just had a brilliant season at home with Loughborough Lightning. They won the league and she's a, a nice wing attack coming through. Um, so, yeah, so we've got we've got a lot of strength in depth, um, which we're really looking forward to showing off on that court. Well, the Silver Ferns will, of course, have a little bit of new talent themselves. Um, we've been playing the ANZ Championship uh, over here uh, up until just recently. Yeah. I, I just wonder how much yeah. uh, how much scouting, how much have you been able to look at in terms of what you're up against this time round? Yeah, it was shown on Sky at home, which was really good. So we loved watching the games, um, and then our video analysis has, has put, a, put a few of the games, so we can watch those. Um, we've just been really impressed with Petter and Grace from the Mystics and that Mystic season, like a play for them in 2012. So that was. Really cool to see them go out and win the ANZ Premiership. So, yeah, lots of exciting players for New Zealand as well. Well, it's an ironic sort of situation here because uh, four, I think, at least four of the Silver Ferns are stuck in Auckland. They can't get out of Auckland at the moment. Uh, you probably, right. in a weird sort of a way, got a more settled look uh, to your side because there, there's so much uncertainty about the makeup of the Silver Ferns at this stage. How do you read that? Um, I think I think Noli will have them in order. We'll have them doing all the training that they need, and I think yeah, both sides we face our challenges. But I think it's like how how you you get together and use those challenges as a positive, which I'm sure both sides will do and be able to put on amazing upon performances for people to watch and hopefully bring a lot of joy to people in a, a difficult time. Yeah, I think that's the key. Um, a lot of people are so looking forward to it. Um, the uh, yep. Silver Fans, of course, are world champions, but you're Commonwealth champions, and, and I guess that's the goal. The immediate goal uh, looking forward is Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, it's not too long now. Um, it's just come around so quickly, and we haven't had, I think all the countries haven't had as much time together as teams as they would like to, so that so it just makes this year so much more important, these games that are coming up Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Everything is on the line, and we're, everyone's going to be wanting to put their their best foot forward for selection as well so it's going to be a cracker so uh, obviously yourself you've had New Zealand experience playing in, in, in our competitions here uh, other players from uh, the UK have done that as well Georgie Fish has been with the, the Southern Steel yeah. how important is getting yeah. that kind of experience into your squad yeah I think it, it's an important part um, we've got the like do the best leagues in the world and some calls in A and Z. So if we can get any of our younger girls experience in that, I think it it just fast tracks their experience and also they're giving a lot to the team. Um so it's a two, like a two way street and uh, I would definitely like recommend any of the girls to experience that that New Zealand style. I absolutely loved it and it, it gave a lot to me on and off court. Um so yeah hopefully hopefully that carries on and hopefully we can get New Zealand and other girls over to our league as well, so we can really like interchange and experience each other's style of play. 
So in terms of style of play, is yours similar to the Silver Ferns? I mean, is it a speed game or is it a more conservative sort of um, estimated sort of a game? I'm, I'm looking at perhaps a more patient build-up type of approach. Yeah, I think we do play a speed game and we're really working that, that patience into our, our game as well. And I think that's the beauty of international netball. Like All the styles are so different. Um, like the, the Ferns can play an amazing zone and off-marking off and we're more man on man and can switch into that so yeah it'll it'll definitely be interesting like tactically because you know the coaches will come into play no lean and just there'll be a, a brilliant tactician so it'll be great to see that side of it coming on the court on next week as well so the the new zealand men's netball team have uh, become quite an important side in this country because the silver ferns actually play against them quite often to be match fit to get that, that sort of physicality that yeah. there's not supposed to be a lot of netball but there, there is, let's be fair, there is physicality in netball. So uh, do you have an equivalent yeah. side uh, in England that you can use uh, or if you haven't what do you use uh, as a unit for your build up? Yeah, I think that's a really good point I think Silver Friends are really leading the way with uh, like playing against the men's team and making the most of the men's team that they have there because the, the, the men are brilliant. Um, we've got a, a club called Knights netball in England and they're just really raising the standards and they've caused there to be like lots of other clubs popping up so we're hoping we can do the same thing. Uh, we've definitely played against them before and had close matches. I'd absolutely love to see a test series like the Cadbury series here in New Zealand um, but yeah I think most of our match play comes from playing against each other because like, you're playing against the top players in the world but I would love to see that someday. So Jade, it's uh, what Thursday morning now. Um, what what do you do yeah. between now? Uh, what does your last minute preparation entail before um, game one uh, passes off? Shall we say? Yeah, so we've got a rest day today. So all the girls getting massages at that minute, and then we'll have some downtime later. And then tomorrow we've got a practice match against the Tactics, which will be really good. I think we really need to hit that style of play. Um, and then one more training before we hit the Ferns on Monday. So everyone's just so excited and ready to go we're excited as well and we're very grateful that you found a little bit of time to talk to us this morning uh, go well stay safe uh, oh, uh, away you. from anything in particular uh, and good luck good luck uh, in the series coming <laughs> up and you. the one in australia too <laughs> okay jade thank, thank you, you. Bye. Uh, that was, bye-bye jade clark uh, from uh, the english rose netball team uh, delightful lady 17 years she's been playing international netball 179 caps. Now, there is some experience there. Uh, very interesting. I'm looking forward to that series. Really am. Double eight, double three is our text number. Uh, 0800 150 811. Uh, All Black team naming today. What are you expecting from that? What changes would you like to see? Uh, who would you start at halfback? Who would you start at 10? Uh, all those scenarios coming through that you can uh, get through to us on. Um, and uh, anything else that uh, might take your fancy at the moment, so please uh, make contact with us. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A couple of texts have come in on a very interesting subject, uh, one quite dear to my heart, actually. Uh, Morena to you, Smithy. All power to the great and wonderful cricketer who has called it a day after 43 years. Uh, also, uh, as a commentator as well, um, a, a great Tremendous bowler, um, but fearsome too, Mikey Holding. But uh, yeah, he's called it a day as a commentator as well. Uh, any stories to share, please, Smithy? Uh, that's from uh, my friend Hone from a beautiful part of the world, Tokamaru Bay. 
uh, on a uh, yeah, I will at some stage, uh, maybe throughout the morning if we get an opportunity. Uh, uh, hi, Smithy. I hope you have uh, are able to get an interview with the great Michael Holding since he's announced his is hanging up the microphone. I loved it when you talked to him when you were last on the radio. Uh, thanks, Carl. Yeah, we'll try. We will try uh, because uh, we're certainly going to miss this voice. History is written by the conqueror, not by those that are conquered. History is written by the people who do the harm, not by the people who get harmed. And we need to go back and teach both sides of history. And until we do that and educate the entire human race, this thing will not stop. They keep, they keep on telling me there's nothing called white privilege. Give me a break. I don't see any white people going into a store on Oxford Street and being followed. A black man walks in, somebody's following him everywhere he goes. That is basic white privilege. Whether that white person went in to rob the place or not, is not going to be thought of that way. And things like that have to change. Well, that is uh, Mikey Holding in a non-cricketing sense. That's Mikey Holding. Uh, but what it does give you is the passion he had about everything that he did in life and uh, his belief on society and the way the world is at the moment was very highly publicised in the last three to four weeks of his commentary stint, the last two or three months, uh, when he's come to the fore on a number of issues which are facing the world. And uh, Mikey was never, uh, in my memory, and particularly on cricketing matters as well, never one to hold back um, his sentiments. Um, he, he, he didn't like T20 cricket. He thought T20 cricket was uh, in some sort of way diluting the product and the, and the qualities of the game. So you never really supported it. Uh, he also didn't like what T20 cricket did to West Indies cricket. It took the great players out in the search for money. Uh, and uh, at that, because of that, the West Indies team, um, the quality within that uh, disappeared to a large degree. And that hurt him. A, a lot of things hurt Michael Holding. Uh, I'm not um, talking in, in terms of if he's gone and, and he's died or anything. He's just he's going from the commentary box, so we won't hear that those sentiments again. But that was just, uh, it wasn't classic piece of cricket commentary, but I think it summed it up very well in terms uh, of how passionate Michael Holding is about the issues in life. I mean, he's, he'll be the first to admit he's, he's lived a pretty darn good life. I mean, you know, he, he's a, uh, hugely interested in horse racing in the UK. He lives in Newmarket. He's got a home in Newmarket. I think he's got uh, a home in the Caribbean. Uh, he hails from uh, Jamaica. Uh, he's got a home there. Um, but he spends a lot of his life in Newmarket walking the downs on the property of uh, Sir Michael Stout, one of the great uh, trainers of, of uh, thoroughbreds in England. And he gets to know those people that work in the stables. And, you know, he, he's got a, a real interest in that as a sideline as well. So, But as a commentator, um, unparalleled in what he did, uh, the voice speaks for itself, doesn't it? Uh, it just does. So, I mean, the voice is so silky, it's so smooth, but it's so passionate. Uh, and a joy to be around in the commentary box. Spends, uh, in the time that I was there, he spent a lot of time on his computer, tap, tap, tapping, looking for cricket stories, but also keeping himself updated with what was going on um, in the thoroughbred world. Um, you know, as a, shall I say, a keen punter, put it that way. Um, so uh, Mikey always uh, had a tip for the day um, when, he ca when it came to the, the racing side of things, but he always had uh, some great information when it came to the cricketing thing. One of his... His, one of his great sadness, I think, is uh, the demise of uh, the Maroon Cap, the West Indies cricket team, 
having played in that fantastic team of the 80s. And, and Michael Hodding was an extremely, extremely fast bowler uh, with an extremely long run-up. There was a lot of things went through your mind when Michael Hodding was coming towards you. And it wasn't so much about your technique or about line and length. Uh, it was, uh, there was other things that you could think about uh, in terms of um, what he was going to deliver and how you were going to react to it. Um, John Day, I, I miss Michael Holding. I spent a lot of time with Michael Holding, fortunately, away from the commentary box, a few meals and things over the years. And uh, I miss him uh, as, as a commentator because uh, I, I just loved his voice and I loved his analysis of, uh, of cricket, uh, but other things as well. Yeah, terrific guy. Came came across as just a genuine man, and you always warm to those types of commentators. Who you you're not getting a manufactured person; you're getting the genuine article, yeah. and that's what you always thought you got from Whispering Death, which is one of the great nicknames, isn't it, of a cricketer? When Whispering Death is bowling to you, oh, it's like being hunted by a shark in the ocean. It's that kind of scary, isn't it? So, and I agree with him on on the Test cricket side of West Indies. They've been way down there for ages, haven't they? And that is the reason you don't get the DJ Bravo, Chris Gale uh, playing for the West Indies in in white clothing because they're always playing in the Caribbean Premier League, which came to an end this morning. Uh, Smithy, uh, which was a good, interesting game to watch, came down to the last ball, but yeah, I'd love to see the West Indies back to where they were in those glory days of the 80s and even the early 90s would be awesome. But yeah, Michael Holding, um, known well from back in the 90s, really, in that part of that Australian commentary team with all of their great commentators and Michael Holding was always there uh, the West Indian influence and just that voice so baritone and beautiful to listen to so I think we're all going to miss him in the commentary box Smithy yeah well we'll miss him alright yeah he was um, he once said to me uh, um, in the Jamaica which Jamaica at one stage um, uh, Kingston Jamaica was once regarded as uh, one of the cities of murder in the world. Very, very dangerous city to be out and about at night. Um, and he said, uh, look, I'll, I'll meet you at a local restaurant. I'll, I'll show you dinner just to show you the local cuisine and the local feel. And I thought, eh, I'm not sure I'll come. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll come and pick you up. He said, uh, you'll be safe. You'll be safe with me. Don't worry about that. And uh, he took me along. And uh, as we got out of the car to go into the restaurant, he said, now just hold my hand. Don't go too far away from me. And he's trying to wind me up. <laughs> but <it's> just, <laughs> it was just like, one, you know, just hold my hand. Don't go far away and, you know, and don't look at too, uh, too many people. The wrong, He's sort of playing playing with me. But, you know, when you're in Mikey Holdings uh, company in, in Kingston and Jamaica, you're probably as, as safe as you're ever going to be. Uh, more on Michael Holding perhaps throughout the morning. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it's, like, it's like, you know, Willis is gone now. Willis, Bob Willis has passed away. Um, Ian Botham has gone out of that commentary team. David Gower has gone out of that commentary team. Uh, Bumble's the last survivor, really. David Lloyd, now that uh, Mikey Holding is gone, and the young brigade are coming through, Atherton and Hussain and co., uh, who are very, very good at what they do. And hopefully we'll get one or two or some of those guys on, particularly during the ashes coming up, because uh, it's probably a better time slot. Uh, but also, um, that's so, just so good to talk about. That's <laughs> here on SENZ and from one Michael to another it's a very important Davis Cup tie this weekend for New Zealand who are hosting yeah get this hosting the Korean Republic in New York City in the World Cup uh, Group 1 tie Uh, the Kiwi team of five is made up of Ruben Statham, Michael Venus, Marcus Daniel, 
and American-based college players Finn Reynolds and Isaac Beecroft. Uh, joining us uh, from the United States uh, right now is uh, Michael Venus, of course, uh, Olympic medalist for us, uh, and also uh, perhaps uh, one of our most uh, accomplished ever doubles players. Michael, thanks for joining us on the show this morning, New Zealand time. Uh, a home Davis Cup, dime, uh, Cup tie in New York. Sounds a little bit weird to us at home. Yeah, it's a bit weird for us also. Uh, you know, obviously we'd love to be playing back in New Zealand and be around friends and family, uh, but, you know, it's just not possible. So, uh, yeah, we're playing at an amazing club up here and uh, on the grass court, so looking forward to the weekend. So you've gone for grass. Tell us why. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, the Koreans on paper, they're ranked higher than, than us, uh, than the singles guys we've got. Um, and and typically, their styles of play, they like to have a lot of rhythm. Uh, they move well. They kind of, they don't come forward to the net as much. Um, you know, and the gra- grass provides a little bit of an equaliser in, in some of those scenarios. And, uh, you know, you're never so sure on the bounce. And with how how we can play as a team um, and get forward and, and try and take time away from them and, and take rhythm out of their hands. Uh, you know, we think it provides a great opportunity for us to uh, potentially get the win over there. So, so Michael, how does the, the stack up? I mean, wh- who's favourites for this on world rankings? Uh, the Korean team would be favourites. They have a guy, um, Kwon, who's about 70 in the world in singles that will be playing. Um, and the other singles guys are around, I think, 200 in the world. Um, so they're all higher than um, than the boys we have playing singles. But in saying that, you know, it's it's a different uh, different beast playing Davis Cup. Uh, you know, you're playing for your country, uh, not yourself. And and there's some amazing stories about how um, you know guys have really raised their levels and and played some amazing tennis in these situations. So you know, hoping that we can. Uh, provide some of that this weekend. Which makes the doubles uh, very, very important. Uh, yourself and Marcus Daniel getting back together uh, after winning bronze at the Olympics. It uh, must be a, an exciting uh, prospect for you to, to be back together in, in tandem. Yeah, you know, it's it's great to be back on the court with Marcus. Uh, you know, after Tokyo and, and having the success we did and, and getting on so well there that you know, it definitely makes things exciting being back on the court with each other. Um, so, yeah, we've really enjoyed the week practicing and, and continuing to work on our, our partnership. Um, so looking forward to being out there for the match and, and kind of seeing what we can do. Actually, it's been, what, a month, month and a half since you, you won that uh, particular medal. Uh, how's it feel about, how do you feel about it now after the original euphoria has sort of died down a bit and you've had to get on with business? Yeah, it it still really hasn't sunk in, to be honest. Uh, even, even when you're saying that to me now, uh, it still brings a huge smile to my face and, and that looking back on those memories of what we achieved. But, uh, yeah, I think I think once I can get home and, and be able to uh, be with family and, and kind of share the medal and, and spend some time with them, then I think it will really kind of hit home. Well, you've ranked so highly in the world of, of doubles, which means you've had so many achievements already. Um, in that form of the game, but where would the, the the Olympic medal rate for you then? Yeah, I think it's got to be right up the top there. Um, you know, it was so special, uh, you know, being part of the New Zealand team over there um, and to have all the support we've had from back home. 
uh, while we're playing there. Um, you know, as a little kid, you you watched the Olympics. It was you know the pinnacle sporting event, um, and you watched all the success that you know the New Zealand athletes had, and and seeing them stand on a podium, and you know you dreamt about that as a kid. So to actually be able to have achieved that and and be standing there, it was uh, it was something that was just unbelievable. Michael, just had a text in actually uh, while I've been talking to you, so I, I thought I'd ask this question because uh, a lot of the public would would like to know why, why, if you're so successful and you can win the Olympic bronze medal, why why don't you and Marcus team up more often or on the ATP circuit? Yeah, it just hasn't kind of worked out for us. Um, you know, we've had different partners at different times. Our rankings have been. Um, uh, at different points where we wouldn't have got in tournaments together and that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just never really worked out. Um, you know, I'm saying that you never know what will happen in the future. Um, but, you know, um, I started a partnership probably a couple of months ago um, and, and I've committed with that player through this year and, and playing next year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that sometimes the timing doesn't quite line up. But, uh, you know, never say never and you see what the future holds. Well, it must must have been so frustrating. Uh, basically, last week when you know your, your German partner Tim Putz got injured in the first round of the U.S. Open, you were highly ranked there. You were seeded. Uh, you had a really good opportunity to to go towards picking up another Grand Slam title. But of course, it's extremely lucrative too. The U.S. Tennis Open um, that must have been extremely frustrating. But something I guess you just cannot do anything about. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was very tough, but in saying that, you know, I know how Tim is uh, about taking care of his body and, and doing all the right things. And it was just kind of one of those freak accidents that happen and, and you can't plan for or, or really do anything to prevent. So, uh, yeah, as, as disappointing as it is, you know, I look at the positives, how we're practicing before it, the things we're doing leading up to it. And, uh, you know, we're both feeling really good and, and hoping for a great run there. And, uh, you know, unfortunately that happened and, and we just have to put things on ice and, until he recovers and then hopefully we can, uh, you know, get the ball rolling again and have some more success in the future. Of course, that robbed you of uh, a bit of uh, match play practice too going into the Davis Cup, which uh, wouldn't have been good, so good. But also, uh, 2021, while it's been a tough year for a, a lot of athletes around the world and they've had to make a lot of sacrifices, uh, you've got to 19 in the world, you've picked up a couple of titles, so uh, it, it's actually not been that bad for you. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, the, the professional side and, and what I've been able to achieve this year, it has been, uh, you know, very good under the circumstances. You know, I haven't seen, uh, you know, my wife or two daughters in, in five months now. Uh, so there's been some really tough challenges on that side of things, and, um and, and trying to work through that, but uh, you know, have no really other um, way around things. Is you know, we get paid to by playing our tournaments and, and prize money. And if I don't go play tournaments, um, you know, we have no money coming in. So uh, yeah, it was kind of the only uh, only way to do things was to go out there. And, and I figured, you know, if I'm out there playing and away from them, uh, you know, I'm going to do do everything I possibly can to do as well as possible. Michael Venus, uh, you're one of a number of athletes uh, who have uh, run into this uh, brick wall about trying to get home because of you can't get a spot in MIQ and it's extremely frustrating. I, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to, to be in that situation. But uh, the system, uh, it seems, uh, whilst it's freed up some, I think this Monday, another 3,000 opportunities to get home, it, 
Now, what do you make of that system uh, back here in New Zealand? Because quite a few athletes, uh, et cetera, have been quite outspoken about uh, where they think that uh, perhaps exceptions or, or I might say privilege, but if you're away representing as an Olympic athlete, et cetera, you may, uh, may be afforded the opportunity to perhaps go up in the, pe- in the pecking order. Would, would you agree with that? You know, I think it, it's definitely a tough one. Um, you know, there's so many people that have their own stories on, on why they should should get priority or, or be back there. Um, you know, and it's tough for you not to look at it from your own point of view. Uh, yeah, I am representing New Zealand the way I went to the Olympics. Um, you know, this is my job. I have no choice but to go leave. I, I don't have a salary or, or anything else that's... Um, you know, coming in if I stay in New Zealand. So, uh, yeah, when when you're kind of pushed into a corner and, and you've got no choice, you have to go away and then you're told, you know, you can't come back. Uh, you know, it makes it really tough, especially when you see, you know, other sports being able to come and go and, and continually get spots. Yeah, uh, I think uh, you're um, you're one of a, a pretty loud voice getting louder. To be honest, if that's any comfort to you, I, I think there are mo- hopefully there are moves uh, afoot in that regard. Uh, look, we just getting back to the Davis Cup team. Tell us a, a wee bit about our our youngsters, Finn Reynolds and uh, Isaac Beecroft. Uh, have have you seen them play much? What do you know about them? Yeah, so I know I, I know a little bit. You know, I've practiced with both of them uh, over the last probably year when we were all home during. Um, during COVID and, and weren't able to travel. Um, so I got to know those, the guys a little bit more and, and spend more on court and get to know their games better. Uh, they're both playing in college now in the States over here. Uh, Finn, he's was one of the top college players last year. Has a very big game, lefty, big serve, big forehand, close to the net, very aggressive. Um, you know, and Isaac... He works extremely hard. He's not going to give you any free points out there. Very disciplined in that. So, you know, these guys, they both love playing. They love training. They do they do everything they can to improve. And, you know, if they keep up that, they're going to have bright futures. Well, Michael, uh, thanks very much for giving us some time this morning. Good luck with uh, the remainder of your build-up before uh, this tie uh, against career in New York. Um, and, and also, uh, hey, good luck um, with uh, MIQ. I hope you, you get to, uh, to get back home as, as soon as you possibly can and, and get back to those people that matter the most to you. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Yep, cheer. That's Michael Venus, folks, uh, Olympic bronze medalist and representing us again overseas, flying the New Zealand flag in the Davis Cup team this weekend. And wouldn't it be great to think that the Davis Cup team could somehow get home? Mm, interesting. 9.44 a.m. here on SENZ. Why do I say a.m.? Because there's no way I was going to be working at p.m. Uh, it's time for some more of your uh, text, please. Double eight, double three. Isn't that the irony of that? Isn't that the irony? Here we're thought, talking about representing us in the Davis Cup. was one of the most proudest events in tennis. It probably still is uh, worldwide. It gets overshadowed by the majors. But he's there representing us. Can't get home. Um, so what do you think about that? 8833-0800-150811. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.49 here uh, on SENZ, the newish team in town, getting older by the day. Um, text come in, I loved hearing Michael Holding arguing with Bill Laurie. Absolutely knocking Bill off his pedestal. Didn't uh, didn't we like it when you can get an overseas commentator in the commentary box and at least compete with him 
of course, what you've got to have is your team playing well on the field because if your team's getting smashed out the window uh, and you're trying to justify it in the commentary box, you don't carry much weight. It's as simple as that. So Mikey, at least for a while there, had the likes of Brian Lara. He could look out the window and point the finger at saying, he's the best player in the world and he's one of us. So, uh, yeah, but it was always good to try and get one over uh, Bill Laurie, but very, very hard, very sharp mind. Uh, and uh, also uh, one of the, the keenest guys I've ever seen get to a commentary box. He would beat the crowd because uh, Bill was such a legend in Australia, and he doesn't commentate anymore. He's getting on a bit, but he, he's such a, a legend in Australia that everyone wanted a bit of Bill. Everyone wanted to imitate Bill, the pigeons, all these sorts of things. He would arrive at the ground uh, at his beloved MCG. He would arrive before the crowd stood. He'd get there so early, uh, he would almost open the gates. Uh, it's because he wanted to avoid being pestered by people, um, but he also was um, such a high about what was about to unfold and he could talk about it during the day. I mean, he basically still played the game, but from the commentary box, uh, he, you know, he was just great. Uh, and you'd get there, he could always guarantee, no matter what time you arrived, Bill Laurie would be there, sitting in the chair because he always preferred to be on first. Uh, and that was always the way in the original Channel 9 commentary team, Bill Laurie, and Tony Gregg would open the innings, if you like, the open the day's play. And so it was uh, Laurie and Gregg, and they had those great confrontational uh, situations. But, yeah, uh, he was great. Uh, Bill Laurie as a commentator as well. So all of those guys now starting to fade away, and the new brigade uh, are coming through, John. So, I, I'm, you know, I always, people say, what was it like? So probably the luckiest time. Yeah. Be, probably beat playing, really, to be fair. Beat be aspects of playing be able to spend that quality time with those blokes. What a team. Like, unbelievable. Like, you know, just brings it, like, the way I got into that commentary team was through the 12th man, Smithy. Like, um, but to be, like, with an imitation from Bill Birmingham, like, that was fun enough as a mm. kid, but to be in there actually with them um, just must have been a massive career highlight, Smithy. I mean, we're talking Richie Benno, you know, the, the goat of commentators uh, when it comes to cricket, Bill and Tony. Like, they're just names that roll off the tongue, and they were so cool to listen to, and the imitations were just as good. Yeah, they were. Um, and those 12th man tapes, when they used to come out at Christmas, they used to sell like hotcakes. And Billy Birmingham, uh, he quit while the going was good. Uh, he didn't want it to be on the down and it become stale. But, yeah, absolutely brilliant. I've got a, a text here saying, uh, Hi, Smithy, hope you've had uh, have some Ryder Cup material on your show in the lead-up. Uh, no golf fan, but the Ryder Cup gets me every single time, uh, more so when Polder's teeing it up. Absolutely. Look, we will be doing that. Uh, we'll be featuring the golf uh, next week because, like you, uh, for me, uh, it really gets me going as well. And don't forget that the Phil Tolterangi uh, teeing it up on Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock. He will have some input with uh, this show leading into that event at Whistling Straits. 9.53 here, and when we return, it's multi-time. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Uh, yesterday was a, a no uh, the Giants uh, got up uh, against the Padres, but uh, New York City and Dallas, they drew three all. So that was the end of uh, the section there. And I believe uh, last I looked this morning, PSG uh, drew one all with Club Brugge as well, which uh, went against the grain somewhat. So uh, today, uh, let's have another go, shall we? Yes, we will. Uh, LA Galaxy to beat the, the Houston Dynamos. That's in the MLS, Major League Soccer in America, $1.67. The Galaxy to win there. The Yankees to beat the Orioles. 
at a buck fifty-four. And here's a slightly different one here: the ICC World Cricket League being played overnight. We've got Oman, yes, Oman to beat the USA at a dollar forty-seven. That's how desperate I'm getting. I'm going to Oman for a winner. Three dollars seventy-eight you'll get for for that particular uh, return. Now, uh, in the next hour, what have we got coming up? Uh, yes, we've got Amelia Garvey. Amelia Garvey is trying to get her full card on the women's PGA Tour to join Lydia Ko, alongside Lydia Ko, full-time PGA Co. She's going through Q school at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of stress involved with that, uh, so I want to talk to Amelia Garvey about that. Uh, we will uh, be talking to Sam Ackerman this morning on the panel. Yes, Sam Ackerman and Courtney Tyree. Uh, so we'll have a bit of a league bias there. They're both strong to the league, but Courtney will have um, some sort of opinion, I'm sure, on the upcoming series between the Silver Ferns and the English Roses. Hmm. Uh, and what are they doing? What are they doing to get through uh, lockdown? And what are they most looking forward to? Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 here in New Zealand. Uh, it's a different time in California where we're heading now to uh, talk to Amelia Garvey uh, because Amelia is going through a really important uh, stage of her golfing career as she looks to qualify and join Lydia Ko on the LPGA full-time tour uh, next season. Uh, good morning, uh, New Zealand time to you, uh, Amelia. Uh, boy, it's, uh, I guess, a little bit of a stressful time in your life, but exciting at the same time. <laughs> yeah, good morning. Um, yeah, it's a little bit hectic, obviously. Um, you know, it's been something I've uh, looked towards my whole life was turning pro and um, now getting the opportunity to, um, you know, make my mark out here and try and get on tour. Um, it's definitely stressful but exciting at the same time. Well, we, we hear so much about it. There's been books written about it uh, on the men's side of the tour. Uh, trying to get through Q school. Um, some people say it's it's harder than tournament golf itself. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm trying to treat it like, you just try and treat it like any other tournament at the end of the day. But yeah, you know that it's kind of all or nothing. Um, it's pretty cutthroat out there. And it's, you know, the, the one and only chance that you get the whole year um, to get onto the tour. So um, it is, you know, it's whatever you attach with it is going to add more pressure. Um, so, yeah, just trying to go go ahead and play uh, the next stage as any other tournament like I did um, in Stage 1, which worked out pretty well. Yeah, Stage 1 went exceptionally well for you. Um, you must have got a lot, a lot of confidence from, from that going forward. Just, just tell us how tight it is. How many, how many golfers for how many spots this time round? Yeah, so stage one, um, there were about 340 girls altogether, um, and the top 95 made it through um, to stage two. But in stage two, we'll be jo- those 95 will be joined with another probably 100 girls who had been exempt into stage two. Um, and then I believe it's the top 70 from stage two make it into stage three. Um, and then there'll be some girls coming down from the LPGA into stage three, um, and the top 40 of stage three end up getting their full card um, on the LPGA. 
and kind of after that you're moving into either partial status um, or symmetry tour status which is just the tour like our sort of corn fairy tour. So tell us where your, your golfing journey began because um, you're a uh, Burnside High is that is that correct Christchurch girl? Yes, yes. So I was actually um, born in England and then moved over to New Zealand when I was five um, and picked up my first golf club when I was um, six years of age. So I kind of grew up playing most of my golf um, when I was younger at Kaipoi Golf Club um, out in North Canterbury um, and then, you know, moved into playing, um, yeah, playing for Burnside High um, and then playing for Canterbury as well and then moved up the ranks and started playing for New Zealand when I was about uh, 14. So then obviously I was starting to get get to travel the world a little bit and saw where this game could take me um, and it took me to where I am now, which is in Southern California. Um, I accepted a full scholarship at uh, USC um, and have just graduated from there and turned pro straight afterwards. So... Uh, it's been a pretty cool ride up to now. Yeah, and you're very successful too. Three-time All-American, uh, two-time All-Pac, uh, 12 uh, first-team selection. So uh, you don't get that without of a lot of ability because there's so many girls uh, going for those kind of spots. Tell us uh, about your university experience. I mean, it's, it's the goal, I think, for a lot of young New Zealand sports people as well, looking for that pathway into the U.S. Uh, what did what did you study, uh, and, and you yeah, know, how I hard mean, did you have to work um, with your study and your golf? Me. I was yeah. kind of a little bit hesitant about it at the start. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the book, so I didn't know whether I was going to enjoy that enjoy that side of it um, or not. But once I got over here, um, we get a ton of help in terms of um, academic advisors, tutors, and just the whole um, you know the facilities here and the support that you get um being a student athlete was um second to none so i've yeah i've loved every part of my time here and just being able to make connections and um you know build relationships over here because i feel like this is where i'm going to be or where i want to be um at the end of the day when i'm going to play on tour so it's a nice kind of you know, familiarise myself with the, the United States because um, right now um, I'm basically stuck over here. So I'm actually staying with a few family friends and stuff like that um, until I can try and get home. Uh, the interesting thing for me is uh, this turning from uh, a situation where, you know, you're on a scholarship and, and things are pretty well mapped out for you to all of a sudden going from an amateur status to a professional status. I imagine there's not a lot of money in the bin at this stage because, you, you know, you haven't been able to play professionally and earn some money. So what does your setup look like now? It's coaching you and Caddy's situation. Yeah, so fortunately enough, I've had a ton of help, um, a ton of support from people back home and uh, Golf New Zealand. Um, they've been great to, you know, keep me on my feet and, uh, keep my head above water, I guess, right now, because at the end of the day, I am a professional, but I am not a touring pro yet. That's why I'm playing um, Q School. So, obviously, I don't have, you know, money coming in the bank um, week after week like any, you know, touring pro would do. So, um, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of support coming from back home, um, which I'm really appreciative of. But, 
yeah, I've more so just started working with um, another Kiwi legend like yourself, uh, Grant Waite. Um, he is based out of Florida and he was one of our um, best golfers from New Zealand. I believe he grew up in Palmerston North. Um, so I actually just started working with him probably a couple months before stage one. Um, I hadn't really... I met him last year at uh, the US Open because he was uh, coaching one of my really good mates, um, Paddy Kravitanica. And then, yeah, just started talking to him um, and sort of kept the, you know, connection with him. And once I'd graduated and turned pro and had a little bit more time to, you know, get over to Florida and go and see him, um, I decided to start working with him. And it's been amazing um, right now. It's been a really, we've made some really, really good changes. Um, and, you know, he's, he's just a great guy in general, like any, any Kiwi is um, over here wanting to help one another out. So um, that's been that's been really cool. And then I've also got my cousin, um, who is also a PGA professional, a teaching pro um, in England that is caddying for me um, throughout Q School. Um, and we plan on kind of working together um, for, you know, the first part of my career at least. So it's nice to have some... Um, really, really close relationships um, on my team as well. Amelia, you've had a taste of it. You played uh, in the US Open. Um, tell us what you learnt from those experiences uh, and how much, uh, how much you have to achieve to get to that point now. Yeah, I mean, just uh, the, the experience in general, were, they were both amazing. The first one um, I played as an amateur and then the second one this year, I actually made my pro debut at. Um, so just to qualify and get the chance to, you know, be around the world's best on some of the toughest courses um, that they play in a year, just, you know, it's nothing but um, great tools to put in your toolkit, I, I guess. When you um, teed up at a US Open course, um, you've got to be able to, You've got to be there, you know, mentally, physically. Uh, every every part of your game needs to be firing. So it's been really, really cool to um, see how my game, you know, shapes up against some of the world's best. And I've seen, you know, some. I've taken some really, really good positive things from playing these and, you know, some great learnings as well. Um, but I can definitely... Um, tell that my game you know has the potential to you know hopefully win one of those events one day um but i do know that there's also a bit of work um to put in mm. before then uh, amelia you've uh, mentioned that uh, you've had uh, advice and you've got a great friend and patty uh, i just wonder you know america is such a big place have, have you been able to cross paths with lydia uh, very often lydia cohen and, and just get some insight from from her Yes, I have, actually. I played uh, practice rounds with her at both of the US Open, so last year and this year as well. Um, and she also lives in Orlando, um, where Grant is based, and I've kind of been going back and forth from California and um, Orlando right now. So, you know, I always try and um, get around in with Lydia when I can if, you know, I play a tournament like the US Open or... Um, hopefully down the road um, be playing a few more tournaments um, that are in her schedule as well but yeah she's amazing obviously 
um, when we play practice rounds together, I'm not trying to distract her too much from what she's trying to do. But, um, yeah, she's always there to um, give a helping hand. And, you know, being um, a recipient of her Lydia Coe scholarship uh, that she did a few years ago, um, I think she's happy to see another another Kiwi golfer trying to get out there on tour as well. Uh, Amelia, just for those folks sitting at home that love their golf and uh, you know they, they treat it pretty seriously, they go out to the club and they hit a few balls. Uh, on an average practice day, how many golf balls do you reckon you'd hit? Oh, quite a few right now. Um, obviously, I don't have school anymore, so I've got a bit more uh, spare time on my hands. So I'm probably, you know, the last few days it's been about two and a half, three hours on the range and then two hours of short game and then maybe go and play nine as well. So uh, there's a lot of hard yards being put in behind the scenes um, and it, that's what it takes. You know, I think golf's one of the hardest games uh, in the world. So, you know, the, the club golfers that turn up every Saturday morning and expect to uh, shoot a you know, good round when that's the only day of the week that they play in, I think. Uh, they need to sort of, you know, change their expectations a little bit and just go out there and enjoy themselves because it's a, it's a great game, but it can be frustrating as well if you set your standards a little bit too high. Well, you're talking to one uh, of those that, as you speak right now, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I can't understand why I can't break par. I, I just can't get it. I mean, my game should be... I, I mean, I'm there once a week, and I, it really frustrates me. Uh, so, OK, let's look at the immediate future, your plan um, and... And the schedule as you look to get this card, what what it's lined up now? Yeah, so uh, stage two is in just over a month from now, uh, which is in Florida. Um, so I'm heading over to Arizona uh, next week just to play a little mini tour event, um, just to try and get some rounds, some competitive rounds under my belt uh, before going to stage two. Um, and then I believe I'm going to go and play a Monday qualifier for an LPGA event um, in New Jersey uh, I think the week after that and then I'll head head down to uh, Venice, Florida and start some early prep probably 10, 10 or 9 days before the actual event starts because it's on two courses so that takes a little bit of extra time um, in a normal tournament but yeah that's, uh, that's my immediate future right now this whole year has just kind of been you know, going with the flow and seeing what pops up. Um, but my main priority is um, on Q School and making sure I'm ready to go uh, when I get there. So that's your main focus. We understand that. And there probably at the moment there is an opportunity, is not an opportunity for you to get home. But uh, you, you're, you're a young girl, uh, you know, and you're, you're away from home. Uh, how frustrating is it for you to think that if you do find a window, you, you probably can't get here at this stage? Yeah, um, it's it's been pretty rough. I haven't been back home since November last year, so I'm I'm definitely gonna try and get um, over there when I can. But right now, the best time for me is looking like uh, Christmas um, stage. Planning wise, stage three finishes on December twelfth, I think it is. So uh, my window of opportunity would mean that I'm probably going to be in isolation. Uh, for Christmas Day and New Year's. So uh, it, it is pretty frustrating for sure, um, but it's out of my hands. Um, 
you know, I'm FaceTime with the parents most days, so that's the best that I can do right now. Um, but I've just seen that uh, managed isolation is uh, opening up for December on Monday morning, I think. So I've got mm. Dad to keep his eyes peeled on that and try and uh, get that book for me in December. I said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy to spend my Christmas and New Year's uh, in the hotel as long as I can get a couple of weeks back home um, before the season starts, probably February next year. And especially with uh, an LPGA touring card, that would be uh, that would make Christmas even more enjoyable, wouldn't it? That would be plan A for sure. Hey, Amelia, you sound uh, upbeat, you sound confident. Uh, you've made a great start, finishing fourth in the first uh, round of qualifying. Uh, I think uh, all the golfing fraternity in New Zealand will now will now look uh, at your performances and what's coming up very shortly. Wish you all the best. Uh, all the best with your golf and all the best getting home when you want to. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much, Ian. Thanks for having me. Uh, Amelia Garvey there, folks. What a delightful and determined young lady and a great example. Yet another great example of women's sport in this country uh, taking us to the fore. Uh, and you kind of believe when you listen to her determination and her confidence uh, she'll make it. Uh, she'll make it onto that uh, LPGA tour, uh, and we'll have two representatives there to watch on a weekly basis, and that is fantastic. It's 10.19 here on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, Sam Ackerman is uh, with us this morning, and uh, Courtney Tyree is with us this morning as we look forward to a weekend of sport and discuss a few issues that uh, are particularly current. Uh, Courtney, first of all, uh, we've got to the stage of the NRL, NRL season that uh, we all are very keen about, the playoffs, and uh, tomorrow uh, it's Manly against the Roosters. Uh, first of all, who's your team? Who is your team? Um, well, apart from the Warriors, my team is yes. the Panthers, because I grew up out in Western Sydney, so they're my other team, but uh, yeah, I wasn't too happy with them last week, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Okay, let's look at those two games, including the Panthers and the Eels. Uh, uh, Manly against Roosters tomorrow night. How do you see them going? Yeah, look, I think both of them played the best games last weekend. And Sea Eagles, I mean, they didn't have a lot of um, possession against um, the Storm. So I think they'll be quite disappointed and they'll bounce back. The Roosters, they did not look that strong against the Titans. And I mean, they just scraped through. Uh, so for me, I think that the Seagulls will be way too strong, especially when you look at the lineups of both teams. And then if you look at Panthers versus the Eels, I mean, it's a battle of the West that, I mean, you just froth over as an NRL fan. Um, the Panthers, oh, are they the Chokers? I'm not sure. I think their lineup uh, is good, and I hopefully they've learned from last week and also the grand final last year. But when you look at Parramatta, I mean, they do have uh, the experience on their side. But the forward pack, I think the Panthers' forward pack will be way too strong for Parramatta Eels. Sam, has the engraver already put Melbourne's name on the trophy? Yeah, well, I'm sure they've got a spare panel hidden somewhere they can just bust out with uh, great ease, uh, Smithy, because they were... uh, they class above of everybody. I was impressed with South, but no, nothing came close to what you saw from Melbourne, and it's what you expect from Melbourne. I, I still can't believe that Melbourne are a better team without Cameron Smith. It blows my mind that they've, they've shed these once-in-a-generation players 
uh, over the past two or three seasons, and they are now a better team, in my opinion, a more complete overall team, where you're just watching threats right across the park, right throughout the bench, uh, rather than just watching these these masters of their trade and uh, four key positions do their thing. So uh, they were amazing, uh, and I'm I don't think Courtney needs to worry about uh, the, the Panthers. I think that they'll be fine. If you watch the Parramatta game, they didn't look exactly like they were setting the world on fire. Um, so I, they've got some great skills and some great abilities, and uh, Mitch Moses had a, his first big playoff game in a long time. But the Panthers are too good a side to go out in straight sets. If they do go out in straight sets, there is a lot to mull over uh, in, in Panther Town, I can tell you, because they are far too good a side to bail out. The main thing, I'm just ticked off that I've robbed us of a grand final rematch in the decider end. I, I'm, I'm, I was really upset. I, I just, I desperately wanted to see those guys back in that, uh, in that arena again because they have been far and away the best two teams of the year and I, I suspect we see that in a, in a week's time with the Panthers taking care uh, of the Eels uh, and as far as Manly goes they played the storm every team that played in the finals this week uh, sorry previous week would have lost to the storm in that game so losing to the storm shouldn't be seen uh, as too big a setback they still need to win three games to win the, uh, the final and if you're the, if you're the Seagulls you're going to beat the, the storm play them twice in a, uh, in a in a campaign you'd rather beat them the second time than the first time I think so um, uh, I, I they, they weren't uh, ducking. They weren't playing rope-a-dope with them, but uh, they'll learn plenty from it if they get a chance to advance. I'd, I feel like the Roosters are running out of steam a little bit with the uh, with the injuries that they've suffered throughout the year. Uh, a very good side that's now relying on a couple of players to drag them through, and I just don't think they'll have that energy against a, uh, a Seagulls team that were, by their standards and by their own words, uh, pretty embarrassed afterwards to uh, pull themselves together. So I, I predict we see the top four being the last four standing. We have to see a little bit more from uh, the genius at the back, don't we, Trevojevic for Manly? Oh, absolutely. What, a, what an incredibly effective way to, uh, to shut him down. And it's, uh, it's a smart play from the Storm. From the, They are the smartest team uh, in rugby league. They have been ahead of the curve for uh, so often. When you take players like that out of the game, you make sure that they don't get open space. You make sure that they're well marked and you make sure that they're, uh, they're the people who provide them uh, the ball in good position are under pressure, then uh, you can strangle the life out of a team. And you could t- see he was frustrated. And that meant when uh, Travojevic was touch- actually getting hands on the ball, he was overplaying his hand. When a fullback uh, of his skill gets on a run uh, in, mm. in a season, he can carry a team all the way to the grand final. There's no team uh, outside of the storm right now that have got a fullback that are dragging them that way. So that's why they are uh, top of the food chain. Uh, and Trebojevic will be uh, will be easier uh, to get involved because, uh, quite frankly, the Roosters in their current form are not the Storm. OK, Sam, please stay with us, uh, and Courtney as well. Uh, Courtney, I'm going to come to you uh, very shortly about uh, netball, the, the excitement of, of international netball on our doorstep. Uh, but the Silver Ferns, uh, how do they get their players down there? Uh, that's a, a real issue. 10.30 here, Trudy with the news, and when we come back, the panel continues. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk to me, yeah. yeah, the panel continues. Sam Ackerman with us this morning and uh, Courtney Tyree. Uh, and now, Courtney, uh, to you, please, with the netball. The, this is exciting. Uh, the, the Silver Ferns against uh, the English Roses. Uh, this is, uh, I think, going to be an interesting matchup in itself. But the Silver Ferns have a problem here. Uh, they're at home, but they can't get their Auckland players down there. How do you see this unfolding? Yeah, this is a tough one. I spoke to the... Uh, newly appointed Captain Gina Crampton, she said they're literally waiting by their phones to see if they can get out of Auckland. Uh, so it's her and Vice-Captain Sully Fitzpatrick. So even if they both don't make it down, that's a huge blow 
uh, to the team and to their leadership. So there's four of them that are just waiting to find out and also the team manager as well. So there's also staff in Auckland that can't get down. So they're literally just waiting. In the meantime, the Ferns have called in three young players, but they do have quite a young squad and they've lost experience. Amelia Arena Canacio, the original captain's having a baby. Jane Watson is out with uh, ankle surgery. So they've lost experience already. And if these players don't make it down, it's going to make it more difficult. The rest of the Ferns, they get to Christchurch today. So they only have a three-day camp and lead into the series starting on Monday against England, whereas England have got out of MIQ and they've had about a week together so far. But it is a real problem if they don't get down. And I think they would look probably at Shannon Saunders and Sammy Winders, who have been in the Ferns for a few years now, to probably, I guess, take on those leadership roles. Uh, But, yeah, it's just it's a waiting game at the moment. We're all waiting. We're getting updates regularly. But at the moment, we're just not too sure. Yeah, I suppose too with uh, the idiots that are breaking out of Auckland and becoming very high-profile idiots because of it, uh, don't make the situation any easier if you're, if you're looking to get people out for genuine purposes. So uh, that is the thing. So we spoke to Jade Clark this morning. Courtney, of course, uh, vastly experienced yeah. uh, English netball player. Uh, she was cool, uh, really good to talk to, but uh, she was pretty happy with their build-up and the side that they've got. And In effect, uh, they've got a day off today, but they play the tactics tomorrow. So they're probably looking like they're going to be in better shape. Yeah, they are. And Jane, she's a great player. She's been part of the Roses for years now, over 100 caps. And that's exactly what England have done. They've got these experienced players. They've brought Jeeva Mentor over from Australia. They've got Serena Guthrie. So when you look at it experience-wise, the English Roses, and especially heading into next year, Commonwealth Games, have got pinnacle years coming up for netball. I think the squad of the English Roses is really strong. They've kept... I guess their uh, their senior players and their experienced players are starting to breed their younger ones through. And as you said, they've actually have had a good build up. I spoke to Serena, and they're all very happy. They're obviously happy to be in New Zealand playing the game that they love. They have got their build up game against the tactics, so they will have a much better lead in uh, than the Silver Ferns. And then also, I think honestly, if our girls from Auckland can't get down there. Uh, England will be very, very strong for these three uh, test matches. Sam, if I can just come to you with another uh, issue that we're exploring here on the station at the moment, and that is uh, the issue of our traditional sports. I'm not quite sure about netball. Uh, I think it's pretty strong across the board from what I hear, but uh, some of the traditional sports are starting to lose uh, their numbers. We've spoken to rugby. We've we've spoken uh, to tennis. uh, We've spoken to cricket. Uh, Across the board, our youth, uh, around about the end of secondary school time, are drifting away. Uh, what, is, what is the issue there? Is there a fix for it? And, and what are they up against? Uh, they're up against the, the huge spread of, um, of uh, recreation and, uh, and other pathways that, um, that talented people in New Zealand have now. It used to be uh, not that long ago. At least it doesn't feel that long uh, to old funny days like me anyway. Uh, and that there, there was the, the meat and, and veg of the sports and everything else was just the weird stuff that a few people played. Now there's so many different sport and options uh, to take with it. There's so many different ways to uh, get through to where you um, you want to achieve something in, a, uh, in your youth and be good at something. There's so many other things that are admired and respected and pathways created now than, 
there used to be. So there's that to start with. I can also tell you the drop-offs happening uh, earlier than that. I've got um, children in the uh, playing you know, sport at a, a younger age in the primary school uh, age and just and just lower. And there's a drop-off been going on in the past year uh, down here in Tauranga with that. And I, I can tell you that few uh, people showed up um, for football. Uh, this year than they did last year and I put things like COVID um, down to that where people were like well we've kind of broken away from the model of what that is and now we want to choose we choose family time or uh, kids get out of the habit or we don't want to put our kids in a situation and disrupted seasons it's a nightmare there's a lot of factors that play into it but there's always there's always going to be a drop off um, through that high school because you just you have so many other things that come into your into your sphere uh, and not the least for people like me who tried every sport under the sun, unlike you uh, freaks of nature that were particularly good and represented your country uh, at, a, at a high level, uh, those of us who weren't any good and tried every sport under the sun to try to find one we're good at, spoiler alert, I didn't find any. So uh, I, I dropped off because I was getting my backside handed to me on a regular basis. So <laughs> keeping the top athletes is what we're really talking about, not, not the Sam Ackmans of this world. I've, I've very seldom been referred to as a freak of nature, Courtney, but I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> and, do, do, and, and so I think should you. Uh, do you see yes, this in, yes, in um, <laughs> Do you see this in young uh, in young girls' sport? Do you, you see um, a, a drift away, or or because I look at women's sport and I think it's going through a golden patch. If you look at the, our women's sporting people in particular, uh, they seem to be excelling in numbers. Yeah, we are, and uh, netball has still been quite strong. I think it is across the board, you're right, Smithy, with women's sport because there's more opportunity uh, for younger females these days, and they do have the luxury of, you know, it just used to really be kind of, I guess, netball and hockey, but also you've got rugby sevens now, you've got league that they can go to. But uh, one thing that I've noticed with, I guess, the schooling ages is uh, affordability for families these days. It's something that they really have to think about, and... um, one of my friend's son, he's got selected for MAGS, who unfortunately got cancelled to go down to Christchurch. But it was a couple of thousand dollars for them to mm. be able to send their son down to play at these levels. And so as a parent, you have to look at it like, how do we come up with this money without, you know, I guess, stopping our son from progressing through these representative levels? And their son, he's only 15 years old. You don't want to take that away. But it's also an affordability for families. Can we afford... For our, you know, for our kids to play or to sign them up uh, each season for netball, whatever it may be. So I think a big thing with netball is they are trying to find ways to make it more accessible to families uh, so that they can afford. I think uh, one of the points of their soccer club, like parents there will pay an extra uh, registration fee if they can afford it so that other kids who families can't afford it, that they will pay for that registration. So it's just things like that I think that, um, I guess, sporting clubs need to start thinking about. Uh, yeah, we asked a couple of bang on, bang on. Yeah, good on you, Sam. We, um, we, well, I, 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 and I completely endorse those thoughts as well, just by the way. We asked a couple of panellists yesterday, your breakout meal, your breakout of Level 4 meal in terms of takeaways. We got fresh fish yesterday and we got Thai food. So... So, uh, Sam, you're already in level two, so uh, you're uh, a lucky man. What, when you're in level four, did you miss most? What did you attack first? 
I tell you what, and I drive past, I drive past it uh, all the time, and it never doesn't register an interest. But the Turkish place just down the road does a mean kebab, and I found myself at level four just going for our walks and looking at it longfully, like it was uh, you know a, a, an old lover walking back into my life. And it was just <laughs> when when level four came underway, I was uh, I was I was there, mask on, standing right at the front, saying it's good to be back. <laughs> You're in love with a kebab, okay, Courtney, 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 uh, please. What are you looking forward to the most? Come on. I'm looking for like a big juicy burger. And once the takeaway is open, like I'm not, I don't want to go to McDonald's. I want like a good, authentic, big juicy burger somewhere up here in Auckland, probably Barca left, you know, with the truffle fries. But give me that burger because I've tried to replicate it here in lockdown, but it's just, it's not the same. Ah, uh, well. I wish you all the best with that. Hey, look, I also wish you all the best getting down to Christchurch so you can talk about some, some netball for us. Uh, Sam, look forward to the league over the weekend. Thanks very much uh, for your company, both of you this morning, Courtney Tyree and Sam Ackerman. Absolutely outstanding. 8833 uh, is our number, double eight double three. our text number. Uh, we've got a two or three to talk about uh, after the break. It's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, we've been talking a little bit about uh, Mikey Holding, Michael Holding this morning because, of course, he's announced his retirement from commentary duties in the Sky commentary team in the UK. Uh, And I got a text through from Blair saying, am I correct uh, in my memory that Michael Holding played a season for Canterbury in the mid-80s? You are. He did. Uh, You have a vague recollection of watching a game between Otago and Canterbury and Omaru where both Holding and Hadley were playing. Put yourself uh, in the Otago batting lineup. Holding and Hadley. Goodness me. Uh, that was one of the meanest, filthiest signings Canterbury cricket ever had. Michael Holding. Uh, here's uh, another one from Jeff the Ref. Uh, good morning, Smithy. Regarding the test matches, the ABs have played against Australia and Argentina and won, but they have all been all refereed by New Zealand and Australian refs who generally allow the game to flow. But they allowed attacking players to dive off their feet at the breakdown. Also allowed attacking players to take defending players out without cleaning, uh, without the ball coming out from the sides cleaning out. I watched the last uh, South Africa-Australia game refereed by a Northern Hemisphere ref. The Northern Hemisphere ref will penalise the All Blacks off the paddock. And uh, he may issue cards if they don't adapt to the letter of the law, which Northern Hemisphere refs will adjudicate too. Yes, Jeff, uh, you did right. We haven't uh, had anything but... Uh, down under referees so far, so uh, we're about to go into the, uh, was it the horrible unknown or the horrible known of Northern Hemisphere refereeing? Make a good point there. Thanks for your text. Uh, don't forget uh, tonight, uh, one day international cricket, Pakistan against New Zealand. Uh, sorry, Friday night. That's with Dan McCarty, Grant Elliott, Luke Ronke, and Ricardo Ball. So, what a high powered team we've got there uh, to talk about that one day international, the first one uh, for the Black Caps over there on tour for the first time in. Uh, a long time, 18 years. Uh, breakfast uh, tomorrow on Sunday, Saturday morning with uh, Butch Castles. Breakfast with the Kiwis. Uh, that's uh, pretty early, 6.30. Uh, you hear from leading jockeys, trainers and owners for a preview of the day there. Teared up with Phil Tottering, of course, at 7 o'clock. Uh, and then a three-hour show. Uh, the mail run with Louis Herman Watt and Michael Guerin. The Louis Herman Watt, Mike Guerin for three hours. Wow, what quality there. And on the subject of uh, Louis Herman Watt, we're back with him very shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith.
three minutes past 11 here on SENZ uh, and over the last uh, few weeks we've been talking to a lot of different sporting bodies, uh, particularly our mainstream sports in terms of tennis and rugby and golf and cricket and it's been clear that uh, some of those sports are, are down on numbers, they're struggling to get uh, teams, uh, participants. They've been told that uh, one of the drop-off areas happens during the teenage years. So to talk about that subject, uh, while well, we're, we're heading to School Sport New Zealand, which is the organisation that coordinates, promotes and protects secondary school sport for all its students. And joining us now, I'm pleased to say, is the CEO, Mike Summerall. Good morning to you, Mike. I'm Morena Ian. Yeah, um, Morena to you too. And uh, do you? It's, it's an interesting story, this, because I think it's one of concern when uh, we see um, uh, in the past, it's been a, a general pathway for uh, our uh, young athletes, uh, and then they just transition uh, post school into teams, to clubs, or whatever. It, it's not tending to to happen to to the same degree. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I th- look, I think when we look at the data that's available, it's it is trending downwards, um, and I think we know how important sport is to to our pathways for those people looking to go forward, but also in the big picture, what it means to, to our well-being and, and the links back to education around our young people even engaging with schools. So uh, it is it is absolutely a, a concern and um, it, it's something that I know all sports bodies are looking to address uh, in, the, in the way that the changing nature of young people's participation in sport. At what age are you seeing it? Yeah, look, there's a, there's a lot of data out there. Sport New Zealand is certainly leading the way around uh, making sure that the sector um, has a good access to that. But primarily we're seeing a, a large drop-off uh, once they come into secondary schools. Uh, that, that year 9 and 10 is, a, is an introduction to what uh, secondary schools look like. And once they get to 15 and there's a, a lot more um, pull on their time, we're seeing uh, quite a, quite a drop-off in the number of hours that young people are uh, remaining active and certainly around the organised sport, we're, we're seeing quite a, a significant drop-off in, uh, in the number of hours that they're, they're participating in, in organised sport in particular. So is that availability of uh, teachers, of coaches or uh, perhaps parental support going, um, going away from those areas? Yeah, look, it's it's a, it's a big picture thing, uh, Ian. There's a, there's a, there's absolutely a lot of reasons. We're, we're 100% seeing a drop off in the number of teachers involved in sport. I think uh, a, a while back, the, the people who were passionate about sport would see the education sector as a great opportunity to give back and and provide coaching and etc. But the school space has become really, really busy. NCEA has changed the amount of time that teachers have available to, to be involved in sport. And that's having a, a significant impact on, on the amount of teachers that are putting their hand up to provide sport. And when we think about sport for schools, uh, it's really important that we have teachers providing that, um, that context of linking it back to the reasons why we're at school. It's not school sports quite unique. It's not just community sports. So... Absolutely, the the teacher um, drop off is is, is concerning. But um, look, I think it's around uh, our quality of experience and what we're offering our young people as well. Uh, the way that uh, our young people are looking to to engage in sports is changing, and I think we we as a sector, NSOs and, and sports bodies, uh, have probably been slow on the uptake around how we have adapted our approach to sport. Uh, we've got quite a traditional model of sport and that's changing, but um, 
we're up against some some big shifts in the way that people want to be involved in sport and um that you know that's that's a massive challenge to how we attract and keep our young people involved in sport is it is it mike is it a case of non-participation or is it a case of of a drift away from the traditionals to other sports for instance uh, volleyball uh, apparently is very, very popular, up around 30% last survey. Uh, we know basketball numbers uh, are, are, are quite huge. So uh, is, are they the traditional suffering? Because normally in a normal school situation, you could almost cater for both. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to get a perspective. We are seeing some that, that there is a, a downturn in the number of students that are participating year on year. But... Traditionally, uh, we run a, a census uh, every year and we've got some fantastic long-term data that we can pull back on. And what we see is between 51 and 54% of, of our young people involved in school sport. And to put a number on that, that's around 145,000 to 140,000 young people putting on a school jersey and, and representing their, their school every year. And within that, definitely our traditional sports are, are way up the top in terms of the number of, of um, participants that are in them. They are seeing drops, but they also have different ways of participating. Rugby have got sevens, football have got futsal, et cetera, et cetera. So those traditional ways of participating are declining to a degree, but by and large, they are still far and above the most popular op- ways of participating in sport. But as we see this changing shift to, to different ways of playing sport, things like mountain biking and cyclocross and adventure racing are the ones that are getting a lot of growth. Uh, our, our traditional approach to training twice a week for the 12-week season and paying 200 bucks at the start of the, of the year to, to possibly sit on the bench for most of the season uh, isn't all that attractive anymore. And um, we're... We're seeing a shift towards pay for play. We're seeing a shift towards wanting to participate in, in different sports rather than just one sport. And look, that, that's, um, that's being driven as well by, by Sport New Zealand and, and the Balance is Better approach. And NSOs are, are absolutely starting to adopt that and the sector's trying to work out a way of how we can balance that across lots of kids playing lots of sports. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make about uh, uh, the var- variety of of certain sports. I've just had a text come in and uh, he said, Smithy, can you ask about the balance uh, and, and uh, certain sports trying to play all year round? And, uh, in other words, uh, uh, what he's saying there is, uh, it used to be, what are you playing summer? What are you playing winter? Now, of course, uh, you, mm. you can play uh, football in winter, but then you can play futsal over summer. Uh, and, and therefore, that's got to be encroaching on, say, say cricket, on tennis. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that, that, that summer-winter sport creep has been there for a very, very long time. Um, and Sport New Zealand, like I said, are, are leading um, a, a research-based approach to the benefits of participating in, in multiple sports, um, especially for our, for our younger secondary school um, students, the year nines and tens that are coming through. Um, the Jeff Wilsons of the world played a lot of sports and they probably got to where they got to because they, they have multiple skills across multiple sports. Um, as, as we've uh, seen a desire to put some trophies on shelves, I guess we've, uh, we, we push a certain way of this is what it needs to look like. But um, that, I, I'm, I'm really confident that, that that's changing. Um, there's some fantastic things going on in schools around using sport as a context to, to deliver the big picture around schools. So um, 
that balance is, is massively important. And, and I know School Sport New Zealand are looking at structures whereby we can offer a range of opportunities right across the board. I think there's uh, 240 events on our calendar, and our calendar represents the pinnacle opportunity to participate in secondary school sport at a, at a national or island level. And the work happening at a regional level absolutely reflects mm. that. So I, I'm confident we're going in the right direction, but there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that we're... Um, we're getting more kids having having a quality experience instead of just sticking in the one sport. We're talking to uh, CEO of School Sports New Zealand, uh, and that uh, is Mike Summerall. It's eleven twelve here on SENZ. Uh, I kind of got there uh, a little message uh, in one one part of your answer there about uh, elite sport and the desire to have the best side. And I look at rugby here, offering scholarships, etc. And I just wonder uh, if that. Whilst it's a positive for the school and it looks good if you're strong, uh, is that in some way a negative to those people that don't make the elite area in that sport or have no prospect of because other kids are coming from outside their school uh, to take their possible places? Is that a negative? Oh, look, it's certainly a challenge. Um, every sport ha- has a pathway and um, and a for a sport like rugby, uh, we're a country that's absolutely mad for it, and we want to see success for us. And uh, that 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 doesn't change when you see in the school space. It is really hard for those kids that have been out of school uh, since year nine, and they they dream of playing in the first fifteen, and that opportunity uh, is is kind of made a lot harder with a with a short term import uh, that's come in to uh, possibly put a, put a trophy on a shelf, but. Um, I'd say that the, the types of behaviours where where you're seeing those are, are absolutely in the minority, and for uh, that high performance opportunity is really relevant for for a lot of our young people who are looking to to push on. But um, mm. but so, some of the behaviours I, I think um, it would be fair to say aren't in the in some cases not not uh, in the best interest of our young people. We look at uh, participation, and it's a big government push as well in terms of everyone having an equal opportunity to to take part in things. Uh, I, I I look at that, and I think is is that a, a kid turning up at school, a third form kid turning up at school, is he given options, or is uh, is he told you have to you have to play this, you have to play that? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that that was the case. Yeah. Um... I think you've got some traditional structures in schools around uh, we, we'd like you to play a, a summer and a winter sport. Um, uh, but I, I think it's getting a bit of a, of a context and, and bigger picture around the role sport plays in schools. Uh, yes, it's about um, it's about playing and, and the competitive side of it, but, but sport has a really important role within the school. If, if you look at the front end of the New Zealand curriculum, it talks to a vision and values and key competencies and it talks to trying to create good citizens and uh, while the curriculum side of, of the education system is really important, uh, just as important is making sure we've got some functioning citizens out the back of it and sport plays a huge role in in moulding what our values base can look like so it is important to, to make sure that uh, you know we're being competitive but, but sport plays a, a really bigger role inside our schools and um, it can act as a as a, an engagement and, and retention tool too. I'm, I'm probably a, an example of someone without school sport. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. Um, mm. I, I went to school to play sport. I probably didn't go to school to 
improve my grammar and my math skills every day. But I did pick up a few skills along the way and um, school sport absolutely shaped a lot of who I am. So it, it, we, it's that fine balance between the role school sport plays and the desire to, um, to keep our traditional models, I think. You look at the top end of it too, Mike, which is very interesting because uh, now um, you you see the, the better athletes in schools, uh, they look at it and they think, well, it's not far too far out of school that I can start make money, start making money out of my skill. You, I can be um, I can be drafted into a, a football academy, um, a rugby academy, uh, maybe even uh, you know a cricket academy, and I can actually start making a living out of that. So, is sports seen? Uh, as a career path more so than it used to be? And, and, and if that is the case, would that have an effect on some people who are looking to the future not participating in sport? Yeah, look, uh, potentially. Um, I, I think w- we do have a system now where, where there are opportunities to be a professional sports person. And I, uh, everyone dreams of, of wearing that, that silver fern in, in whatever sport that they're going to play in. But um, I think the numbers uh, are pretty clear that around, I, I, I don't want to quote it, but I think it's only about 1% or 2% actually make that transition through to professional sport. Uh, I think we probably need to be better at making that clear and not putting so much in there as an emphasis on this could be your potential career path uh, because the numbers don't stack up in that way. Um, you know, changing the, the purpose around and the values base around Sport participation, I think, is really important. But, um, yeah, look, for, for those students that uh, uh, see sport as an opportunity, that there are those really clear pathways and, and some sport, some schools provide some absolutely amazing opportunities for those, for those young people to try and realise those dreams. Would, would you have any idea um, what, I mean, what the university set up here? I mean, you work predominantly with the school set up, I, I, I realise that, but... The next step, of course, uh, for a lot of these kids is university sport. Now, university sport used to be hugely strong in this country, but you don't hear so much about it anymore. And would you know what their situations are? Do they have sports programs as such anymore? Yeah, they, uh, they do. That's a really good question. And um, we work quite closely with um, University Tertiary Sport New Zealand, um, and they're, they're, they understand the value of sport, and um, they've got a fantastic board there made up of... Um, chancellors etc of the various universities and they're trying to to shift away from um i guess the old school easter tournament uh easter tournament opportunity uh into an actual uh, meaningful um pathway opportunity for for tertiary students to to continue in education while um trying to aspire to making a new zealand universities team and they're seeing some really good traction they got some really good people there and um yeah, we're trying to work quite closely with them around making sure that those year 13 students who are interested in going on to tertiary education know that those opportunities exist and that, and that there is a pathway for them should they should they stay in the education system. Uh, Mike, just uh, finally, it's been wonderful talking to you, but just finally, uh, in terms of the future, what what sports do you feel will be more so more dominant and and dictating where kids are, are going in, say, 10, 15 years? Oh, it's really hard. I don't think any of us would have planned for COVID, which has had a, a really massive impact on how we're viewing the world right now. Um, well, I think any 
in, in the in the in the secondary school space in particular, if you're not listening to the voice of young people, you're going to be miles away. That uh, the world's changing so quickly that uh, our structures and the way that we participate needs to be influenced by what they are wanting at any given time. And I think we're getting better at that, so we're starting to get better structures for that. So. Any sport that can really harness what our young people are wanting and how they want to participate in it, I think are going to put themselves in a, in a really good place to do so. Uh, every sport has got their own challenges, so um, I wouldn't want to say one sport is going to rise above the other. But um, yeah, I think any, anyone that can uh, really work with their participant, um, and, and participants can be lots of different people. I think we're... we're we focus on those who are currently participating. We really need to look at those that are not, uh, those that are missing out to a degree. And there's lots of different people missing out in our sector. So people, the sports that are hearing that voice, I think will be the best place to um, harness a lot of participation opportunity. And and just finally, finally, what role can parents play now? Uh, what, what do they need to play? Oh, absolutely huge. Um, Parents set the tone for what participation looks like for, the, for, their, for their students and the pressure that goes on them sometimes around, um, around why they're participating. So um, that parent education piece is, is absolutely huge. And again, Sport New Zealand are, are looking to do really, a really big piece in there and with NSO supporting them. But um, I can't say how important it is that uh, parents around the country are, are supporting their young people at a time when, unfortunately, uh, it's very, very hard to get school sport across the line. I think for the last two years, uh, some really big pinnacle opportunities have been taken away from them. And um, that's that's really tough. And, and I mean, I, I resonate massively with all of those young people that have trained so hard and those opportunities have been taken away. But um, look, sport teaches, a lot, sport teaches us a lot of life lessons, lots of highs and lots of lows. And I, I would look to the parents that uh, where we're experiencing some lows to, to help move on from our losses and, and reset those goals and, and not let one bad experience define them. Mike, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you, actually. It's been very insightful, and uh, I see you've got uh, plenty of challenges ahead of you, plenty on your plate. Uh, I wish you all the best with your endeavours, and, uh, and again, thank you very much for your time this morning. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, Mike Summerall there, folks. Uh, he is the CEO of School Sport New Zealand, and that is his, uh, one of his big challenges, just to keep kids participating, uh, keep them uh, wanting to be um, athletes of the future. Perhaps, uh, and as he said, not everyone has got the natural ability to do that, um, but there are a lot of kids who persevere through that, or they used to, they used to persevere, and they become your club players. They become the strength of your club. They're not the elite first 15 players, but they're part of your cult squad, uh, they're the meet and drink, they're first to practice, uh, they last to leave, they turn up their gears ready, and, and you know they look uh, with jealousy at the better players with better ability and more skills, natural skills, uh, and they still want to play alongside them. That used to be what uh, leaving school and joining a club and playing club rugby, club cricket, etc. was all about, rubbing shoulders, getting better, um, but being part of that team. The concerning thing is, it could be disappearing. It's 11.22. On SENZ. Yes, it's obviously a, a really uh, important issue and uh, one that a lot of people are interested in. For instance, uh, here's a text coming from uh, down south. Big Dunedin boys' schools have ruined senior school rugby in Dunedin. 
through offering scholarships and other opportunities. Well, I wonder how they, if that's the case in Dunedin. I wonder how they feel about that in, in Auckland. Uh, Mark from Lower Hutt says, Smithy, my six-year-old son is doing gymnastics. Uh, first comp next year. I would be interested to know how many kids are doing gy- gymnastics around the country. He wasn't uh, interested in team sport, but he encourages others in his class and works so hard. Uh, Mark is a very proud dad, and uh, good luck um, uh, to your son doing that too, Mark. And I, I imagine you're giving him uh, as much support as you can, and I think that's a, a, a very big issue as well. And I said it yesterday, seven-day-a-week trading uh, thing made it very, very hard uh, for parents and kids uh, to be involved in sport to the level that they perhaps wanted to be. Uh, and it uh, <coughs> probably applies to other areas of life as well. The other thing, John, is the elite sport. And a lot of people uh, look at this um, with uh, rose-tinted glasses and particularly the covering of elite sport, rugby, etc., on television. What's your view on that? Can that be detrimental? It can be. It can be very positive, though. Smithy, your first 15 rugby being on TV, and if a scout sees you, uh, they sign you up. Just look at the Highlanders have just signed uh, Hooker, who's still at high school, still in year 13, and the Highlanders have signed him, Smithy. I think Razor Robertson dropped that to us last week, and it's just come out this week in the media. So at that age, already you're looking at professional contracts. So I think that's why we're seeing a bit of a drop-off, especially in rugby numbers, is because it is professional. By the time you're year 9, uh, you've got that dream of being a professional rugby player, and if by year ten you're not in the you know the A team, you're not in the under fourteen A's or something, you've lost that professional dream. And you're like, well, why am I playing this anymore? Uh, when I was at high school, I was playing it to have fun with my mates. There was no real uh, desire to be a professional, but I think that's getting drummed into people at a younger age now. This can be a professional pathway for you, and if you don't make it in those early years, well, you just give up and try something else, maybe go harder at the books or something. So I think it's just the professionalism of college sport, I think, is a negative Smithy, I think these high-performance units in high schools that we're seeing around the country are just driving the fun, maybe, aspect out of sport, which kept me into it until Colts level, um, until I got a knee injury and just uh, couldn't really run anymore. But I loved just playing it for the fun, playing it for the, you know, uh, having some beers afterwards at that stage of my Colts career, and that's why I did it. Uh, I just think it's being drummed into kids at high school uh, to be professional, and there's professional outfits now, Smithy, at high school, and driving kids into that direction where it should be about the fun, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think it should. I think participation, and as Mike pointed out, 1% or 2% will go on to be professionals. 1% or 2% at the very best will go on to be professionals and make a living out of it. Uh, speaking of making a living, you won't uh, if you stump Smithy, but you'll make 50 bucks. You'll make 50 bucks with the TAB vouchers. It's time uh, to ring up and, and just test your sports knowledge against an oracle. Inaugural title. 1976. I'd say, uh, Taranaki. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, Smithy. Here we go. History's repeating. Here we go, Dylan. Okay, uh, listen, this is what I'm going to do here. Uh, I'm going to go for... Someone outside mainstream. I'm going to go for Bay of Plenty. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. It's happened again, Dylan. It's happened again. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Hey, hey, Dylan. Yeah. 
as they as they say in the chase, as they say in the chase, Dylan, uh, that's the door over there with the one with EXIT on it. But uh, hey, by all means, call back. Call back tomorrow. Look hey. forward to chatting to you on a daily basis. Hey, hey, coming coming from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. <laughs> brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, Smithy, good stuff. All right, let's go down the road to Huntley. Brett, g'day, mate. Here's a feel for Dylan. <laughs> Smithy doesn't give him a send off. <laughs> Oh, great to hear right. you've still got it. Chirpy keepers, eh, Smithy? Yep, Gave him a spray okay, and walked let... off. <laughs> 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 All right, Brett, you've got two rugby right. questions to answer. Get them right and you will win 50 bucks from the TAB, but Smithy's in a mood, so you better get them right, mate. Yep, let's go. All right, Brett, uh, the All Blacks and Springboks have played 99 times. How many times have New Zealand won? More than them. Um, <laughs> that is correct. Fifty-nine. <laughs> uh, there he goes, what? all the way what? up into the stand. What? what a hit in the first two. That? That's hitting a cricket ball. That might be the best we've had so far, Smithy. And correct, absolutely correct. We've won 59 times out of 99 against the Springboks, who have won 36, and there's been four draws, Smithy. How impressive is that? Brett from Huntley. Well, I wouldn't have got that because I, I would have thought there was an era there where South Africa were clearly stronger than us. I mean, we could not win over there. Remember that? We just could not win. Yep. So I would have thought that uh, it would have been a lot more balanced than that, so I wouldn't even have been close to 59. So well done, Brett. Well done. One to go. Excellent. So one more, Brett, and you've got that 50 bucks from the TV. How did you know that? Was that a guess? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right on the money. You're lucky, <laughs> I knew day. it wasn't by much. Yeah. It used to be head-to-head, uh, head, like neck and neck, until professionalism. And then we started winning in South Africa because our super rugby teams would go there all the time. They knew how to deal with the travel factor. Anyway, that's boring chat. Let's get on to the third quiz question. Richie McCaw, the great Richie McCaw, holds the record for the most tests by the, for the All Blacks with 148. Who is second on the list of all-time games for the All Blacks? You better not be Googling, Brett. It's very quiet. <laughs> I can hear your fingers moving. <laughs> Samuel Whitelock. <laughs> One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I think he's very, very um, close, Sam Whitelock, and he probably will be in yeah. second place by the end of the season if he gets on the Northern Tour, but he's not second, Smithy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who is? No, yep, this has got me. This probably got me. Um... I'm tossing up between um, I'm tossing up between uh, Kevin uh, Mills Muliaina. I'm tossing up between Mills Muliaina and I'm tossing up between him and Kieran Reid. Right? So I'm gonna go for Mills. Mills Muliaina, my sky colleague. He's got him, he's out court. That is not correct, Smithy, so well done to Brett from Huntley. The answer was Kevin Mialamu, 132, oh. and I thought you were going to say Kevin Mialamu when you had the K, Smithy, with the Kieran Reid, but yeah. not nah, Kevy, 132 tests. Wow. Stumbled okay. stump. <laughs> <laughs> Just a oh, sneaky God. little dig there, Brett. We heard it though, mate, and you have won 50 bucks from the TAB. Stay on the line. <laughs> oh, it's good fun today, oh, wow. Smithy. No, it's not. Okay, Brett, see you later. Uh, <laughs> 
11.39 yet here on SENZ, um, and we'll make our way towards midday uh, with a couple of issues. Uh, we're getting texts in on this uh, junior sport, which is very good. Keep them coming. Uh, double eight, double three. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I think it's almost a bit sensitive, that stuff. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Eleven forty-four here on SENZ as we head uh, head towards midday with uh, Mark Stafford, of course. Uh, John, that is the the breaking news theme. What has happened in our sporting lives this morning? Then very interesting one, Smithy, and quite a serious one, I guess. When we're talking about trying to get exemptions for silver ferns getting out of, out of Auckland, well, New Zealand Rugby's just put out a uh, release saying. New Zealand Rugby has removed six players from the MPC squads and is working with the players and their provincial unions to relocate the individuals back to Auckland after being alerted to errors in their respective applications for a travel exemption. So these six players were given an exemption to rejoin their provinces in Wellington, Hawke's Bay, Smithy, Manawatu, Bay of Plenty and Northland, uh, but this has been erroneously given. So now New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Mark Robinson has said it's an unfortunate situation for the players who had moved out of Auckland in good faith for their employment. It's not the players' fault in this situation and they've been alerted to it by New Zealand Rugby. The government has advised the travel exemptions have now been revoked. All six players are vaccinated and four of them are fully vaccinated, which I guess is the good news. But it's not just Aucklanders going down to Wanaka, Smithy, it's... Provincial rugby players heading all around New Zealand, but good to hear that four of them are fully vaccinated. Well, that's a faux pas, isn't it? A straight-out faux pas. And as you say, uh, that's going to make it difficult, I think more difficult for uh, New Zealand netball to get those silver ferns out of Auckland uh, before uh, that cut-off date uh, over the weekend. And even if the news comes through uh, to level three, uh, is that good enough? Is that good enough to leave their bubbles uh, and then uh, join another bubble? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the ramifications of that, but that's an interesting uh, revelation out of New Zealand rugby this morning. So uh, no names uh, revealed there. Uh, I guess uh, some people will know. Um, we might never know. Uh, look, what we do know is that uh, Pacing for Purpose is on again every Thursday. Uh, give us a go. John, give us the warm-up for that. Get Nasser on the phone. He is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again. SNZ is Pacing for Purpose. Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. Live the dream, they say. Live the dream. Get involved in Harness Racing today at New Zealand Harness Racing. Their website is hrnz.co.nz. Of course, we'll have uh, Michael Guerin on the show tomorrow uh, looking at uh, harness racing issues. Um, And he's got that uh, great show with uh, Greg O'Connor on Saturdays as well. Uh, to look forward to Saturdays, uh, or on Sundays actually, Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, however, uh, what we're talking about today is our Pacing for Purpose horse, and that is tonight. Uh, we have gone for uh, Cambridge, uh, that's where they're running around, it's the Auckland Trotting Club at Cambridge, because uh, of course uh, Addington or Alexandra Park is, is not up and running at the moment. So Cambridge Race 3, number 3, Obsession. Um, it, uh, it's being driven by Tim Williams, very accomplished driver Tim Williams, like him. Uh, trained by the Telfers, uh, so we'll be getting that now. If we get that dividend through, uh, the odds are two dollars, John. Yeah, two twenty, right? and we've uh, our horse was scratched last week, Smithy. So we're going a hundred, 
100 on the nose oh. this time. And the comment on Obsession, number three, is did nice work late without luck resuming? 3rd of September looks like the one from this marble. What does that mean? Okay. Uh, it, it looks like the one from this marble. The marble is the draw. Okay. okay? Yep. And it looks, it looks like it's the one to beat. In other words, uh, a justified favourite. So uh, we're on it. We're on an obsession tonight, and uh, should that get up another 220 bucks to add the 150 we've already got uh, towards going to our pool for women's refuge. Uh, look forward to that race tonight, race three at Cambridge. Uh, a lot of texts coming in on this issue of uh, where kids are going. Also, you've got a rap over the knuckles too, John. Not really a rap over the knuckles, but just uh, someone's pointed out a thing to you. We started beating South Africa when we got neutral referees, says Pete. Joe oh, says, yeah. you implied professionalism was the turnaround uh, in New Zealand-South Africa games. Actually, we started to catch up and pass them when another change happened. Maybe coincidental, but neutral referees happen. So there's a fair, <laughs> solid fair school call. of thought about the refereeing and hometown decisions there. Uh, uh, also, uh, in terms of kids' participation in sport, hi, Smitty. Uh, there's a lot of Kiwi talented kids that are, in some cases, more talented than some kids that are parent-funded. In other words, they get the opportunity because their parents are, um, are rich or make the sacrifice. And talking of making the sacrifice, uh, Jeff says, my son's, a very talented BMX racer. It was costing six to eight k per year per season to travel New Zealand wide chasing a national title. He sees he knows of parents that add a hundred thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand per year to their mortgages so their kids uh, can strive to represent their country at world uh, world championships and the Olympics. Uh, so they have to train and uh, and compete in America and Europe to do to do that. So a lot of people are are doing it hard and, and you know doing the hard yards and making the sacrifice. Uh, to get that far. Uh, Paul says, Smithy, I'm a junior convener for a uh, rugby club. Our number's dropping off due to a number of issues. Broken families uh, are our biggest issue. Players unable to come to trainings or games as one of the parents who, who's weekend with kids unable to get to all the kids' games. In other words, yeah, you're involved. Um, <coughs> your custody with your, your kids from weekend to weekend and uh, every second weekend, um, mum or dad can't uh, get their respective kids to the game. So, uh, also, both parents working, lazy parents who can't be bothered taking kids to sport. I wonder if that's a, a big issue. Uh, changes to under 11 grade stays half the field. Ten aside, no score taken. 55 kilo kids to, uh, too big uh, have to move to open weight playing with 90 kilo kids. And there's a hell of a big difference uh, between 55 and 90 kilos when someone's running at you with a ball. I can promise you that. So, Paul, thanks for that. Uh, a number of issues. Uh, it really is uh, quite a deep-seated uh, problem that we've got in those areas. Uh, it's 11.50 here on SENZ when we come back. Time to chat with Staffy. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 11.56 here uh, as we head forward to midday, which of course means uh, Mark Stafford. Staffy takes over for us in this afternoon, Staff. I believe around one thirty, you got an all-black team naming. So what are you expecting out of that? What are your spies telling you? Um, no spies, but we've just actually been talking about that upstairs, knowing that it's going to be named. And the speculation is that they're going to rest quite a few. Obviously, with the South Africans on the horizon, Smithy, we can't just keep flogging them, and they'll want their big, big guns to go back-to-back -back against the South Africans. So if they're going to take a day off... It'll be this weekend. That, that's our feeling. So the likes of Brody Retallick, the guys that have really put in the yards, I'm interested to see what they do at number eight, whether um, Luke Jacobson, because um, you don't really want to penalise a fantastic game last week, but he could be key. He could be crucial for the Springboks as well. He's the sort of player that would go well against the box. So 
Oh, it's it's tough. It's tough. Where will they play Rico Yuani? Will they play Rico? Yuani? What do the wings look like? Um, so many players over there. It's hard. You need you need a really good crystal ball. Well, it seems uh, we know Aaron Smith's going to be playing for your beloved, and uh, we're getting rumours through that. Sam Whitelock actually might turn out for the Red and Blacks at some stage this year. Yeah, well, they are contracted to New Zealand Rugby, and when they name their Mitre 10 Cup teams at the start of the season, they always name their All Blacks, uh, and they pay them. So if they're here and they're not playing for the All Blacks, um, sure, uh, I'd imagine their contract says you must go back and play provincial rugby. You just can't have a have a holiday. And, I mean, you, we heard Aaron Smith on, on SENZ yesterday, and he is really keen to get going. Uh, to play for Manawatu and stay at his dad's place in the sleep out, etc. So I'd love to see Sam Whitelock uh, suit up for the Red and Blacks. Uh, we've put in our uh, bet for, with Paul Mawadi uh, in terms of uh, the weekend. I've gone Bay of Plenty half-time, Hawks Bay full-time. Uh, what are you guys going to likely to come up with? Is it going to be sport or horsey? Uh, I'm going sport. I'm going sport mm-hmm. for that one. Do I tell you now or do I make you wait, Smithy? I probably make should. Wait. Yeah, I should probably make yeah. you wait. I, I heard the breakfast. They went a thirteen dollar shop, fifteen each way. Yeah, uh, well, in nuts. I mean, the balance is gone, hasn't it? Yeah. Brendan's overseas. You know, the balance, the wicket keeper, the wicket keeping side of it. Uh, you know, the, the common sense factor is, is way across in the UAE. Uh, look, what have you got on your show in terms of balance, in terms of common sense? Common sense and balance. Um, going a bit international. Couple out of America today. Actually, going live. Uh, pretty soon after the start of the show with um, Ryan O'Hara, who's a, a writer for the Ring magazine, talking about these celebrities getting in these fights and these 58-year-old former champions fighting. And where's boxing going, you know? Where is it going? And how's it how's it marrying with UFC? Uh, also heading to the States to the chief writer for NFL.com, Greg Rosenthal, uh, just we're one week in, Smithy. Um, so get the lay of the land of the NFL so far. And then on the local scene, Paddy O'Brien, one of the great referees of New Zealand, and he's still involved with world rugby in the refereeing scenes. And of course, with New Zealand back in Pakistan for the first time in 18 years, we're talking to Skippy Sinclair, who was part of the team that was last in Pakistan. So, um, yeah, we're going America, America, New Zealand, New Zealand. And uh, lots of prizes, lots of games. It's going to be a good old Thursday. And an all-black team, Smithy. Yep, an all-black team to add to the mix. Staffy, I'm jealous of your content. But uh, we've had a fun show as, as well. Uh, so I thank Trudy for her input, as always. Rock, the Rock of Gibraltar. Brian, been pretty good this morning, I think. Uh, come up with some reasonably good ideas in the background there. A lot of vocal support, which has been good. Uh, John, um, adequate, adequate. Still got a chance to improve tomorrow, and that's where we'll see you, folks. At nine the o'clock. All new SCNZ.